good God, that you reign, Lord. You're an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. And Father, I just ask now that by the power of your Spirit, you would use your word to work deeply into our hearts. Change us, Lord. Help us to be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came, who lived, who died, and was raised so we could have eternal life. God, we praise you. Hallowed be your name. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And for the children, I'll tell you what. Some of you can't see it, but as I'm sitting over here looking at these children, watching some of these kids worship, Man, that just warms my heart. And it's, it's, some of your kids just know how to, how to worship, and what a blessing that is. I'm going to have you take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you, and you can find Exodus 13. It's the second book of the Bible. And uh, before we get started... Um, we have 40 people from our church in Mexico right now on a mission trip, and I've heard a number of comments back just about how great it's going. I haven't heard a lot, but it's been great. They're building houses down there in Puerto Panasco. You can see some of the pictures. we got kids involved. we got adults involved. There's JC. What a great picture, JC. There's Mark. He's having a great time down there. The kids are involved there. You see it. Um, what a blessing just to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus to these different families. Um, not, I thought that was Johannes, but I'm not sure it is, up on the roof. And there's Alyssa, uh, some of our young adult leaders, uh, Emery and uh, uh, Piper. And uh, just it's kind of fun to see him putting up drywall, um, hammer and nails. I haven't heard of any nails that have gone through any fingers yet. Uh, there's Mark getting ready to paint something, not sure what it is. And then you can just see this last picture, I think, is a picture of the whole group. Oh, that's Gracie and Joe. Here's a picture of part of the group. It's not the whole group, but there's part of the group. So we're really thankful for those that are there. I would encourage you to be praying for them. They went down on Thursday. They come back tonight, and we just pray for God's safety, for fruitfulness, and uh, I just know that it's been a great trip. All right. Exodus chapter 13. Have you ever found yourself between a rock and a hard spot? Sometimes you might call it being in a pickle or in a predicament or maybe somewhat of a paradox. You're in a place where you just don't know how to get out of it or you don't know which way to turn. Well, when you read Exodus chapter 14, you find Israel in the mother of all pickles. Probably not what they called it, but we can look back at it and say, they had a problem. They're in what what some commentators have called a geographical cul-de-sac. They're backed up to the Red Sea. There's desert sand dunes to the south. Egypt is to the west, and the Egyptian army is closing in quickly. There seems to be no hope in any direction. They need a miracle. So the question is, how'd they get there? Would you be surprised to hear that God led them there? It was God who led them there. It brings up the big idea of the message, and that's this. God uses challenging times in our life to cause us to look to him. 
God will use challenging times. He'll use trials. He'll use all kinds of things to cause you to look to him. We may not know it at the moment. When you get to chapter 14, they have nowhere to look but to God. Now, last week we saw the 10th plague. And despite being warned, Pharaoh's heart continued to be hardened. And God ultimately sent the death angel, as he had, told, as he had said, and all the firstborn of Egypt died. But for those that had enough faith, for the Hebrew nation that had enough faith to take the blood of the spotless lamb and put it on the doorposts and the lintels of their homes, that death angel passed over. That's where we get the Passover. And those that were under the blood of the lamb were protected and did not die. At that point, Pharaoh, who lost his firstborn, and the rest of the Egyptians couldn't get the Israel nation out of their fast. They says, go, get out of here. Take your animals, take your families, take our gold, take our, take our clothing, get out of here. And so they go. And God kept his promise to bring Israel out of Egypt from bondage and ultimately to judge Pharaoh. So after 430 years of this family of Israel, Jacob who became Israel, they came into the nation at 70, as 70 people, and they incubated for 430 years. They come out as 2 million people, as a nation. As God brings them out, he wants them to memorialize that moment. And so that's what we see in chapter 13. In fact, look at verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day. I want you to memorialize this. Remember this day. Out of the houses in which you came out of Egypt, from the, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. So the way they were going to memorialize this was, one, to concentrate, consecrate all the firstborn through the act of circumcision, but secondly, to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we talked about last week. But there was something he wanted them to remember, and we see it four different times in the first 16 verses of chapter 13. You can see it here. Look at verse 3. It says, For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Look at verse 9. He says, For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Verse 14. And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from, Pharaoh, from the house of slavery. And again in verse 16. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. What did God want the nation to remember? It had nothing to do with them. Their salvation had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with God. God did it. It was by a strong hand that God brought them out. It was God at work, and he wanted to remember that. And as I'm preparing this message this week, it struck me that there have been times we as a church have missed it, and I own it. 
fact, I'm taking responsibility. Like, there's been times we've not memorialized God at work. And God has been at work in so many different ways in our last four and a half years of history. I mean, just the gift of being able to get this building when, like, there was no way. So I asked our staff on Tuesday, our small group on Tuesday night, our elders on Wednesday, how have you seen God at work at Hope? And I got some really encouraging answers. I had one person say, you know, I work in the children's ministry, and some of our parents have been so faithful to teach the kids God's truth, and I just, I hear it. I'm so encouraged by that. I had, I had uh, one say, you know, I was so encouraged by prayer night. We had 60 people at prayer night about a week and a half ago, and about 16 different people were involved in that night. It was just so great to hear people, in fact, Pastor Dustin even said it last week, He's a, you know, just to see all the different groups of people praying. The worship was great that night. I had one girl say, you know, you have older women discipling younger women here. And I said, well, she's not that old. But, but we, we actually, we have a lot of women that are discipling. And it's just to see that growth, she, she realized, she says, I, I realized I needed it. You have others that... Uh, I, had, I met with, a, I talked to a couple after one of the services last week, and they said, you know, they just said, we are growing so much here. I'm really thankful for that. I had an opportunity this week. I was making calls for baptisms. I was actually going to send out some emails because I was kind of pressed to get into my message. And, and I, was, I said, I'll just send an email. And I said, no, make a call. So I made a call to this one couple because she had said she wanted to be baptized, and her husband was on the phone. And I said, are you ready to be baptized? And, and he said, I'm not sure. I said, well, I, let me ask. I said, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He goes, I'm not sure I know what that means. So I got an opportunity to explain it. He ended up receiving Christ with his wife and, and him on the phone. What a blessing. Like, that's God at work. We must memorialize those moments. In fact, I'm going to spend some time in my message next week talking about more of what God is doing in the church. I think it's a great question to ask your family, a great question to ask in your small groups. How, how do you see God at work? Because if you're, if you're looking for God at work, guess what you see? God at work. What a blessing. All right. I asked the question before. Let me get back to the message. How did they get here? How did, they, how did the nation of Israel get in this, this geographical cul-de-sac? And I said, God led them there. They were, they were between a rock and a hard spot. So when you're between a rock and a hard spot, what should you do? Well, first of all, Follow the Lord, for he is faithful. Follow the Lord, for he is faithful. Look at verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh, let the people of, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds, that they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now, we see God leading the nation. You, you see it in, in verse 17. Again, you see it in verse 18. But God led the people. Now, if you're like me, when you go on a trip, you want to go the quickest route, the most direct route for the most part. So what do you do? Pull out your phones, get on your GPS, and you figure out what's the quickest route. Well, many of us think that GPS is new. They use GPS here. It's God's positioning system. God, God used, they used GPS back then. God knew that at the first, so what he did was he didn't take them the quickest route. In fact, let me put up a map. 
when, when you look at this map, the quickest route, and it's kind of hard to see it here, the quickest route, I mean, they went from Ramses to Succoth, but the quickest route to the land of Canaan was up along the Mediterranean Sea, but they go south. We're not sure exactly where they cross over, but instead of going the quickest route, they didn't. Why? Because they knew that at the moment there was danger, they would turn and go back. They would, they would, they would want to return to Egypt. Now, that can be true of new or immature believers. When things start to get difficult, when the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches creep in, what do they want to do? They want to return to their old life. Now, the shortest route, as I said, was along the Mediterranean Sea, but that, was, that road was dotted with military checkpoints. And so God led them by the way of the Red Sea south the place where they find themselves between a rock and a hard spot. So God led them into this location. Why? Well, it wasn't a wrong turn. He had some lessons to teach them. Now, you see something interesting at the end of verse 18. It says that they went equipped for battle. And I thought that was kind of a strange statement. They've been in Egypt for 430 years, for probably the last 350 years, they've been slaves. They don't have military equipment. So what does it mean that they're equipped for battle? Well, one commentator says they were just organized to march. They were organized to march. In fact, we'll see that later on in Egypt. But ultimately, God led them. So how did God lead them? Well, before we see that, I want you to look at verse 18. Excuse me, verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. This takes us back 400 years. Remember, Joseph was sold into slavery. He had 11 other brothers. They were the sons of Israel. Ultimately, he became the prime minister of Egypt, and he saved the nation for becoming extinct. Jacob or uh, Israel brought his family down into Egypt. So Joseph, as he's ready to die, he says, make sure God is going to visit you. And when he does, I want you to bring my bones back up out of Egypt into Canaan. Well, that's what we see here. So Moses is taking an extra package with him. Verse 20. Now we see how God led them. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. That had to be awesome. Here they are. During the day, they're being led by this pillar of cloud. But at night, there's this pillar of fire. Like they didn't have to guess where God wanted them to go. How many of you would love to have a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud to figure out which steps should I take? Anybody? I mean, wouldn't that be great? Well, the reality is we have that. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God's Word. Psalm 119, 105 says, 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's our guide. Jeremiah 23 says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord. We know in John 16, it says, our, his spirit will lead us into all truth. We may not have a pillar by day and by night, but we have the word of God and we have his Holy Spirit. What we see here is a visible reminder of God's presence. Emmanuel, God with us. 2,000 years ago, God came into this world. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, as I was reading this, I was just reminded that God is with us. And you know how I used to pray? I used to pray, God, be with Michael. But that's not a good prayer. Michael's a believer in Jesus Christ. Because God is with him. Thank God. He, he is with him. A better prayer would say, I pray that Michael would sense your presence, Lord. Or, or maybe I pray God would know that, or that, that Michael would know that God is with him or that, that he would follow as the Lord leads or that he would not acknowledge God's presence or that he would pray for God to direct his steps. God is with us, and that's, they had the pillar of fire, but we have the Holy Spirit. And for believers, what a blessing that is. So here's what we learn. Follow the Lord, for he is faithful. Second, when you're between a rock and a hard spot, trust the Lord, for his plans are perfect. Trust the Lord for his plans are perfect. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, I'm thinking that some of the nation of Israel are thinking, uh, didn't we just pass by this gas station a little while ago? Why are we all of a sudden going by it again? It's like, like, is God confused? Does God not know how to get us out of here? Here's what they had to learn. The Lord's plans are perfect. We need to trust him. And the place that the Lord was taking them to camp was this geographical cul-de-sac. Ultimately, God was setting a trap for Pharaoh. He was setting a trap for the Egyptians, but he was also getting ready to teach incredible lesson to the nation of Israel. Look at verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know. What shall they know? That I am the Lord. And they did so. See, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. We just need to trust him, to follow him. He would get glory over all the false gods of Egypt. Look at verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? They had short memory disease. 
like they've seen these, these plagues destroy their land. The tenth plague destroy their first sons. And all of a sudden, they're thinking, what have we done? How do we let these servants go? See, some of us can be slow to learn the lessons that God is trying to teach us. Look at verse 6. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers uh, over all of them. So he, like, he gathered the whole army. He says, we're going to go after them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots all his, uh, and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped by the sea by Pi-Hiharoth. You think it's easy doing what I do. You try it. In front of Baal, Zephon. It's amazing how quickly we can forget the great things God has done. Or in the case of the Egyptians, how powerful God is. And they're thinking, how did we ever let them go from serving us? What were we thinking? Who's going to draw our curtains in the morning? Who's going to lay out our clothes? Who's going to serve us coffee and get us our newspaper? Who's going to build our buildings? How did we let them go? And they start thinking about how great it was in the past. So Pharaoh musters his elite troops and he pursues Israel. I'm just wondering if any of the pursuing Egyptian armies were thinking, I'm not sure this is going to be a good idea. I've seen God move pretty powerfully before. What's to say he can't move powerfully again? We must trust him for the Lord's plans are perfect. Well, third, when you're between a rock and a hard spot, Stand firm in the Lord, for he will fight for you. Stand firm in the Lord. Now, Israel's encamped by the Red Sea. I don't know, they were probably boiling bagels. They were, uh, they were doing something. They were kind of settling in, looking at the Red Sea. It's beautiful. And all of a sudden, they hear this sound off in the distance. And they see this cloud of dust on the horizon. What is it? Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. You have to realize what this scene must have been like. Two million people on this exodus, this passage. Try to imagine two million people camped. In fact, when they get the law, they're told how to camp. And that's pretty cool with the tabernacle in the middle. I'll, I'll speak about that in, in the spring. But what, what, what's amazing is I thought about it. You know, there's a Cardinal football game today at Cardinal Stadium. The roof is going to be open. It'll be a lovely day. But... <laughs> Until the game's over. It's not going to probably be a lovely day. But what, what there's 63,000 people that are going to be pouring out of there after the game's over. This was 32 times that amount of people, all camped. And now you've got this Egyptian army coming. What do you do? It says they feared greatly. 
and the people cried out to the Lord. They'd seen all the great things that God had done. The question is, were they living by sight or by faith at this point? Clearly by sight. They were putting their fear in man versus trusting in God's promises. But the good news is they cried out to the Lord. But even that was short-lived. The fact is, when you're going through a difficult season, maybe the Lord is trying to get your attention, wanting you to trust him, wanting you to lean on him, wanting you to look to him, wanting you to cry out to him. And often we can cry out in relief, God, get us out from under this. But maybe God is wanting to have you cast off your self-sufficiency, your, your dependence upon self, and depend upon him. Maybe he's trying to break down your pride in this moment. That's a win. But instead of continuing to look to God, they, they look to blame somebody. They want to blame someone. Instead of saying, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? <laughs> Instead, they look for someone to blame, and of course, they blame the preacher. Always got to blame the preacher. Look, at, look, at, look what it says, verse 11. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It was the woman that you gave me, Lord. Like, what did you do? What, what, Moses, why did you bring us here? I mean, they start romanticizing what it was like back in Egypt. We would have been better off in Egypt. The fact is, it's easy to criticize Israel, and they're complaining. But sometimes we can be no different than Israel. We start going through disappointments. We have challenges in our own lives, and we stop believing in the promises of God, and we start complaining. When you forget God's promises, you can sometimes imagine worst-case scenarios and start to romanticize your past versus looking to the Lord. And that's where you see the importance of leadership right here and Moses. And this account, I mean, they're, they're backed up. This became the opportunity for the greatest, one of the greatest leadership declarations in the Old Testament, but also it became an opportunity for one of the greatest deliverances on this side of the cross. Look at verse 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. That's an awesome verse. See, for Israel, this moment should have been a Second Chronicles 2012 moment. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And, and yet, they're complaining, they're moaning. They've seen God work, but they've forgotten. They were between a rock and a hard spot. 
between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. And Moses says, I got this. Actually, I don't got this. God's got this. Notice what Moses doesn't say. He doesn't say God helps those who help themselves. Didn't say that. He doesn't say you just need to believe in yourself. You can do this. He gives them four challenges, four prescriptions for what to do when you're between a rock and a hard spot. Here's the first one. Don't fear. Don't fear. See, awe of God or fear of God can energize us. Fear of man can paralyze us. He said, take your eyes off of man, put it on God. Second, he says, stand firm. Stand firm. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and following is, speaks of spiritual warfare. I think it's four different times it says, do all you can do to stand. Stand, therefore. Having stood, therefore. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. He says, stand. He says, stand firm. Keep the faith. Trust in his promises. Third thing he says, watch God work. Look at verse 13. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. That was the title of this message. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. God's going to work. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. See the salvation of the Lord. It's a reminder that we should continually look to the cross of Jesus Christ because that's where we see the salvation of the Lord, where Jesus became a substitute for us on the cross. He died a sacrificial death. His blood was shed to cover our sins. See the salvation of the Lord. Watch God work. Finally, he says, be quiet. Just be quiet. Not sure if he was saying, stop complaining, quit your belly aching. It's not helping anything. Just be quiet and watch the Lord work. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. The reminder here is when you have nowhere else to look, Remember, the battle is the Lord's. Look at, look at 2 Chronicles 20, 15. Right after Jehoshaphat says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. He prayed incredible prayer. He's, and he said, listen, all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. David speaks those similar words in 1 Samuel chapter 17 when he's facing uh, Goliath. The battle is the Lord's. He knew it was the Lord's. This last one, to be quiet, can for some of us be the hardest part. Listen to what Psalm 46.10 says. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted 
in the earth. When things don't go the way we think that they should, do we keep silent or do we complain and criticize? When was the last time you heard criticizing and complaining solve any problems? Does it make things worse for people around you or better? Yeah, like, we got to be careful as Christians. Like, we need to trust in the promises of God. Listen to what John Wolvert said in his commentary. He says, as they came to their greatest moment of deliverance, the people of God were full of distrust and fear. Now, we know that they crossed over by faith. That is kind of a spoiler alert. They did cross over the Red Sea, if you didn't know that yet. But they were full of distrust and fear. What's interesting is Moses may have complained also. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Moses, why are you crying to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Like, let's go. Let's start start moving. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. This is a Charlton Heston moment if there ever was one. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch the Ten Commandments. Eric Tucker's favorite movie. Well, one of his favorite movies. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all the hosts and his chariots and and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've given glory over, when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. It's an amazing moment. And what seemed to be impossible to man is no big deal for God. He says, just go forward, be obedient, even if it doesn't seem to make sense. And we see how God's plan is now starting to unfold. Look at verse 19. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud in the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So this pillar of cloud got between the advancing Egyptian army and the fearful uh, Israel. And it protected them. Moses did what the Lord commanded, and we see the salvation of the Lord. Look at verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Awesome moment. You see the power of God. Now, they didn't get miracles all the time. In fact, they'd not seen a miracle for 400 plus years, and all of a sudden they've seen all these miracles in a moment. But this would have been incredible. And it certainly would have taken a step of faith to walk through that canyon of water. Verse 23, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic. Who's in control? Absolutely. 
clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Like, what took them so long to figure that out? I mean, how many plagues did they have to go through? How many miracles of God? And again, we can cry out and say, like, what were they thinking? But doesn't that describe us sometimes? How often have we seen God move in so many powerful ways? And then we get into another pickle, predicament, between a rock and a hard spot. It's like, like ah, what do I do now? <laughs> Look to the Lord. Verse 26, and the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, and the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. But not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. I said it last week. You see it once again, this juxtaposition of those that believed God by faith and were saved and those that rejected him and weren't. It's a very clear picture here. Listen, when we're, in a, when we're in a, between a rock and a hard spot, we need to follow the Lord. We need to trust the Lord. We need to stand firm in the Lord and finally believe in the Lord for he saves sinners. Believe in the Lord for he saves sinners. Look at verse 30. <laughs> thus the Lord, thus Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Once again, They've just gone, the, the nation of Israel has just two million of them gone through this canyon of water. They've been saved, and now these waters have come over the Egyptian army. God has judged those that have rejected him. And you see, those that have been saved can see the impact of those that haven't. Last week, I also said that the Jews were just as guilty of sin as the Egyptians. The only difference between the two is that Israel, by faith, believed in God's way of salvation. Look at verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. They feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in the servant Moses. Israel, by faith, believed in God's way of salvation. Egypt did not. See, by faith, Israel believed that when he told them to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and lintels, that they would, they would be saved. They did, and the death angel passed over them. By faith, they believed the Lord when he said to leave Egypt. By faith, they believed the Lord and were led by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. By faith, they believed the Lord when... They were told to cross the Red Sea as they saw the mountains of water on either side of them. God had given them a way of salvation, and they took it. The reality is God has given us a way of salvation. The problem is 
We're between a rock and a hard spot. In fact, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us that. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned. Every single one of us. We're all born into sin. It's part of our nature. And, and, and the fact is, God is a holy God, and God cannot allow sin into his presence. But here's our problem. There's nothing we can do. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough good works to commend ourselves to God. We are between a rock and a hard spot. We have a conundrum. In fact, we're told in, in Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. What do we do? In fact, listen to what Romans 6.23 says. The wages of sin is death. That's what we're facing. We are backed up against the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is coming at us. And, and our sin can't allow us to do anything to get out of it. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, what do I have to do? Do I have to do something? Can I be good? Is it like, is there something special about me? No, Romans 5, 8 reminds you that, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was, there's like, like, I'm not saved because I'm better than someone else. I'm saved because by faith, I trust in the finished work of Jesus. So how do we get saved? How do we, how do we open up the Red Sea behind us? Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one is confesses and saved, it is saved. It's not just something you say, you have to believe it in your heart. And then you have to take a step of faith. You have to turn from your sin, turn to, to Jesus by faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For we are saved by grace through faith. And it's not of our own doing. It is a free gift of God. And it tells us that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God has given us a way of salvation. And even though we face this cul-de-sac, this rock in a hard spot, if we trust in the way that God has provided for us and we, we, we embrace him by faith, we can be saved. We can have eternal life. Believe in the Lord today and see his salvation for he saves sinners. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And as they do, I think there's some questions maybe just to ask as we, as we close out the service. First, just how are you at dealing with when you're between a rock and a hard spot? Do you follow the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? Stand firm in the Lord? Believe in him? He's faithful. His plans are perfect. You know, he fights for us and he saves sinners. So often we can just trust in our own strength, our own ability. And if that's you, just ask God to forgive you of that. Ask him to just be completely dependent upon him. 
For some of you, maybe you're between the rock and the hard spot. You've never turned to Christ. You're facing eternity separated from God. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but it means you have to turn from your sin and you have to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he died in your place, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. Whoever believes on the Lord will be saved. Father, I thank you for the fact that you are a faithful God. And Lord, when it seemed like there was no way, you made a way. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for this great deliverance that took place 3,500 years ago. We thank you for the the deliverance that was purchased for us when Jesus went to the cross in our place. And we thank you for the deliverance that takes place when any sinner turns to you by faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.